Growing tensions between the U.S. and Iran, pro-choice author hammered with the amount of good things pro-lifers do for foster care kids, and Trump opens up about his use of Twitter. I'm Noah Huey, and this is Under the Stars. there have been a few interesting things that happened, and I'm, and I'm actually going to add a topic at the end that I uh, that actually happened just this morning, uh, Friday. And I actually need to change my air dates because this doesn't air on Fridays anymore. However, no, I did add it. I did add it this morning. So, let's go ahead and jump straight into it because I've got nothing to add other than the subscription policy for Under the Stars, the, the, the website, so you can get all the stuff, is under construction right now or under reconstruction. So... Currently, you can just kind of watch the show for free. It's not going to be that way for very long, though. However, there, uh, it's not going to be as complicated. There's not going to be four or five uh, subscription tiers. It's just going to be the basic subscription and a veteran's and active service discount. So if you're a veteran or you're uh, uh, active service and you want to listen to the show and stuff like that and you get all the discounts, you get a 50% discount. And the prices are already low compared to, to the other guys. So it's going to be amazing. But anyway... Um, so currently, that's not the case. So right now, you can just watch it. So, first things first, there are some growing tensions between the U.S. and Iran. Some stuff happened, and Iran's been kind of, like, in our face about it. It's been kind of annoying. This is coming from uh, NPR, actually, um, because I like to get my news from everyone, including liberal sources, because I say, you know what, I disagree with them, and some of them are, like, over-glorified opinion uh, sections, but you know what, they should be heard as well. So, President Trump came into office criticizing the U.S. wars in Afghanistan and Iraq, and he promised he would try to avoid foreign military engagements. As you know, he pulled the troops out of Iran, I believe, or out of Afghanistan, and people supported that, and I supported that. I think that was great. Um, yet this month, the White House has been talking as if conflict with Iran is suddenly on the table. Uh, Trump tweeted over the re weekend, If Iran wants to fight, that will be the official end of Iran. Never threaten the United States again. However, recently President Trump has said that he doesn't want to fight with Iran. So a lot, so some people are criticizing him and saying, well, what do you want to do? Well, first things first, um, I, I, I want to make sure uh, what's happening um, the first Sunday night in May, the White House issued a statement from Bolton saying the U.S. has, has seen a number of troubling and escalatory indi indications and warnings tied to the Iranian regime threatening the U.S. and allied interests, which Iran has been doing for some time now, actually. And um, it, the, the White House under Trump, Trump's administration has started commenting on this. Later, the administration sources said intelligence photos showed Iran had loaded missiles onto small boats run by Iran's Islamic Revolutionary Guard Corps, which, U, which the U.S. last month declared a terrorist organization. But then the Iranian forces repeatedly unloaded some. U.S. allies in the Gulf last week 
in the Gulf last week said oil tankers suffer, suffered damage from sabotage attributed to Iran. Iran has denied plans to attack U.S. interests, but said it's prepared to defend itself against the United States. Uh, on top of that, uh, recently over the weekend, or sometime, I think it was Wednesday actually, um, the leader of Iran said that the West was declining even though we've got some of the best economy in the entire world and we're just generally doing better than them. Um, and then as well, I believe we parked their boat, our boat somewhere and then they put their boats really close and that kind of freaked people out. Um, and so peop- there's just been this growing uh, tensions. However, over, I want to say Thursday it was, uh, President Trump said that there was going to be no uh, trouble with Iran. So this begs the question, uh, just what's going to happen? I don't think there's going to be any kind of, like, there are some people that are going crazy, you know, you know there's going to be a full-out war scenario. I don't believe that in any situation. Uh, that's kind of ridiculous. But I do believe that there's a that there's going to be some trouble. Um, There's just been a lot of bickering and fighting between the U.S. and Iran, but I don't think it's going to be, like, crazy or anything. Um, And, of course, Donald Trump being Donald Trump... By the way, I want to apologize for the way I pronounce his name. I pronounce it Donald Trump instead of Donald Trump. I I don't know. I'm weird. Uh, But Donald Trump being Donald Trump... With that go-get-him attitude that he has, with that, 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 that energy he has... Uh, that f- that punch back uh, mentality that he's had since he's been elected, I think may attribute to some 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 issues, some problems. And I'm not saying that this could lead to all-out war. In fact, I highly disagree with the idea that this could lead to any sort of war. However, this will it, it's not going to help much. And um, I think Iran needs to get out of our face about it. We need to get out of their face about it. I think that'll help very much. But it was just a small news topic. I thought it was interesting because it was catching the eyes of people around the world. So, as you may or may not know, the trade war with China has gone almost nowhere and in some some places it has. Um, Here was an opinion I read on CNN, uh, the Communist News Network. Um, And let me be clear real quick. Conservatives have always had a thing against CNN, myself included, um, and a lot of major media companies, because the media hates uh, the people. Um, More often than not, the media hates the people. However, when I started, I don't remember what it was, I think it was when I was writing my article on Trump's immigration plan, I read a CNN article about it, an article said Trump's likely doomed uh, immigration plan. Honestly, CNN... A lot like a lot of more li- these more liberal sources, but CNN especially, I feel like is an over-glorified opinion section. But I do enjoy reading these other people's opinions. However, I know saying that, I'm going to get a lot of right-wing people telling me, well, you just like CNN now because the right often is not as good, not any better than the left in having this kind of mob mentality. But anyways, here was an opinion from CNN on if Trump is making the right decision with these tariffs uh, on China and the ever-growing trade war. And I actually, I sat down and, well, I didn't sit down, I walked, but I talked about this with my more liberal friends. I've got a, a very close friend who is more liberal, uh, I'd say more progressive to an, to an extent. Um, he's even got some views that me and my other liberal friends, uh, don't agree with. But we were sitting down and talking about this, and, uh, we were talking about how it could go one of two ways. Um, but first I'm going to read you this CNN article. No, I do not want to receive notifications from CNN. 
Um, I'm going to read you this article written by Joshua P. Meltzer. Um, President Trump has been right to focus on the economic and trade challenges China presents to the United States. Okay, but his approach risks producing a, a deal with only short-term wins and enormous longer-term costs. And you see, when he says this, he's not totally wrong. Uh, let me read on. Uh, earlier this month, the United States imposed 25% tariffs on 200 billion worth of imports on from China and is threatening tariffs on an additional 325 billion in Chinese goods. China retaliated, promising to raise tariffs further on 60 billion. 60 billion in U.S. exports. Dealing with China in the is the defying challenge for the global economy. China cuts out exports and investment from the Chinese market, steals intellectual property, forces businesses to transfer technology, and subsidize its companies. This gives Chinese firms an unfair competitive advantage. Such tactics are either difficult for the World Trade Organization WTO, to police, or in many instances the organization's rules don't cover such behavior. The case for U.S. leadership here is clear. China claims that a new law will aim to curb these practices, though many are skeptical of its effectiveness, and I'm right there with them. Um, but a successful deal between the United States and China must include reforms to China's own subsidization strategy and the role of state-owned enterprises, improved IP protection, and, these, and the free flow of data. Making progress in these areas was always going to be hard. There are enormous vested interests in the status quo in China, and reforms could affect the Chinese Communist Party's control over the economy. I'm, I'm a very... I don't know who this man is. I've never... You know, I don't follow CNN. I don't follow news in general, uh, which is not very helpful given the fact that I'm supposed to talk about it. Um, but I love that he's, like, openly... Yeah, they're pretty communist. Yet the president has entered the fray unprepared and unnecessarily handicapped. The administration failed to prepare the United States for the duration of cost or cost of the challenge. It has, un it has unilaterally disarmed itself by withdrawing from the Trans-Pacific Partnership, TPP, and, and graciously hurt allies such as the EU, Japan, and Canada by raising tariffs on their goods. The tariffs on Canada were just lifted and hurling personal insults, making it harder for to form a united front on these China trade issues. To extract the best outcome from a trade deal with China, President Trump should rejoin the TPP, now the CPTPP, if, if instead of withdrawing, Trump had pushed Congress to quickly ratify the agreement, he could have focused on expanding the membership to include the likes of South Korea, Thailand, and Indonesia, which are all interested in joining. Such trade deal would have placed significant additional pressure on China to reform. Why? Under TPP, shifting supply chains outside of China would have given companies prefer preferential access to U.S. market. Moreover, the TPP already included types of rules the United States is demanding from China, such as limits on operating state-owned enterprises and subsidies and companies, or, and commitments to the free flow of data. And he goes uh, more into depth on what he thinks the president should do. But I want to focus more on the tariffs, because the tariffs is what I was talking about with this friend on, on Wednesday or Tuesday. And, um, we were talking about how they weren't generally a good idea, um, or at least how they're not going to affect. Essentially, he raised the tariffs on China thinking, oh yeah, that'll show them. And then China went, fine then, we'll raise your tariffs. So now our companies who are taking in these resources, generally, some of them aren't, but generally, some of them are starting to raise the prices on us. However, again, there are some companies that aren't, I don't know, it's... 
Overall, I think Trump made the best decision he could. Notice I said he could, not the best decision possible. At this point, you have to accept with Trump's presidency, Trump is making the best choices he could make. Not the best choices anyone else could make. Not the best choices uh, Ronald Reagan could make. I don't know, that's the first other president I could think of. But he's making the best choices that Trump would make. And in terms of those choices, for the most part, I'm going to say, okay, sure. However, I don't think this will fully work. It, to be fair, it is China. It's going, they're going to make it hard regardless. I think that's just what China does. China makes it incredibly hard to work with um, them just all the time because they suck. Um, and it's been a load of crap. Um, overall, I think we could have done better, but, in this, but this guy is not fully wrong. I think eventually we're going to start feeling the uh, ratification, or not the ratifications, but the effects of these tariffs that China has raised. Um, but you don't know. Uh, Trump could do anything within uh, the next 24 hours or the next 48 hours. But within the next week, he could have a totally different plan set up. It's President Donald Trump. We don't know. So I'm just going to have to, in my case, um, compared to my uh, friend's case, uh, I'm more optimistic about it. Uh, I'm more, you know, let's hope that this works. And again, I'm not a huge business guru. So if you're, if you're not into that, but if you're better at that than me, uh, please uh, let me, give me your insight because I'd love to see and hear about this. Uh, anyways, our next uh, piece of news, a pro-choice author is hammered with the amount of good things pro-lifers do for foster care kids. She probably didn't know uh, existed. Not the foster care kids, but the things they did. I titled that weird. Um, this is coming from my favorite Instagram account ever, Generation Z Right Wing. Make sure you follow him if you've got Instagram. If you don't, um, then uh, I don't think he's got anything else. Um, anyways, so if you don't already know, the whole thing with abortion, and I'm not going to try and go into another hour-long segment about this because I, like I did last episode, but the whole thing with abortion right now uh, is that pro-lifers are saying, um, put the children up for adoption. However, pro-choicers are saying, well, the adoption system is broken. That I agree with, to an extent. Now, I don't have personal experience, but knowing people who do have experience and knowing people who have researched the experience and, and, and doing my own research, I've concluded that the abortion system isn't awesome. Um, because there are 2 million families that don't that can't inseminate, and there are still over like 400,000 kids in the adoption system. The numbers don't quite add up. So, what I suggest all the time when people ask me about the adoption system is adoption system reform. In fact, I got into not a heated debate, but a, a mundane debate about this on Instagram. We were talking about this, I think, on this post, and some guy said, uh, why not put them up for adoption? I replied saying, well, as many people may have pointed out, the adoption system doesn't fully work. What a lot of people, both pro-choice, uh, because I don't think they want to uh, recognize it, and pro-life because they don't really recognize it, is if we had an adoption system reform, which I don't think would be incredibly costly or incredibly difficult to do, if we had an adoption system reform that made it more affordable, easier, and safer, and I, I don't know why I use this word safer, but I do anyways because I feel like I need three words, to adopt children, uh, the chance or the need for abortion would uh, uh, essentially be invisible, useless, gone, nada. Because if we had a, a good adoption system, better than what we have now, because the adoption system we have now is okay, but like I've said, given the amount of experience I've seen, the research other people I know have done, and the research I've done uh, to compare, the adoption system's not awesome. So if we had a reformed adoption system that benefited everyone in the situation, we would no longer need abortions. Women could avoid responsibility. 11-year-old girls would not have to worry about uh, another... And I want to bring up another thing while on the topic of abortion. A lot of people are like, 
uh, you know, there, you may have noticed there are a lot of pro-life people that say, I'm okay with abortion in the case where it threatens the mother's life. In any other case, no, I'm with those people. However, a lot of leftists like to say, well, what if it affects a 11-year-old girl who has to have a child? Are you stupid? If an 11-year-old has a child, that counts as a threat to the mother's life. So, of course, we're for er, abortion in that case. But people don't want to believe that. The problem with, and, and it's not with pro-choicers in general, it's mostly with teenage pro-choicers. And, I, and in one of the future episodes, not an upcoming one recently, maybe in about four or five episodes, we're about to have schools out. Um, for me, I'm still in school right now, but school's about to be out, and um, I want to have a full episode where I talk about student involvement in politics, uh, teenage involvement in politics and their opinions, but the, especially what I've seen with teenagers is they don't realize that a lot of pro-lifers do the things they think pro-lifers don't do, because let's face it, we have to be honest here, a lot of teenagers, myself included, had based a lot of their early opinions and even some of their current opinions off their favorite celebrities, their favorite news outlet, you know, whoever. And it's great that you want to f uh, follow the opinions of people you enjoy, you enjoy watching and listening to, but you also have to accept that they're not always right. Okay, just because you like them doesn't mean they're right. I love Jim Carrey. I think he's a really funny guy, um, for the most part. I've, I've, I've seen roles where I don't think he, he did well or where I think he didn't have as much material to work with, but for the most part, I really love Jim Carrey. I love his movies. P politically? I think he's a moron. I think he's absolutely insane and ridiculous, but that doesn't make a difference. I still love him nonetheless. And another thing with, with a lot of people on the right is they love someone, a celebrity, and then they'll say, then the minute the celebrity comes with a liberal opinion or a radical opinion, they'll say, oh, well, I don't like you anymore, which I don't think is incredibly intelligent or very, you know, good because it doesn't matter. I, a lot of my favorite celebrities are liberals. Do I care? No. They're entitled to their opinion just as much as I am. I don't really care. I still enjoy their work as an actor or an actress. If I generally didn't like their work as an actor or an actress in the first place or a singer or or a singer in the first place or a director in the first place, if I didn't like what they did in the first place, I didn't like what they did in the first place. What their profession did has nothing to do with anything. But anyways, this is a tangent. So anyway, like I was saying, a lot of teenagers my age, a lot of, um, as the meme community puts some basic white girls, um, a lot of them, my a lot of teenagers my age, I don't think realize how many things pro-life adults do for the foster care system. Um, anyway, let me read this article that he wrote, that uh, Generation Z writer wrote. Author Sarah Tuttle Singer tweeted out to pro-lifers with the hopes of pulling a gotcha moment instead of ended up revealing the proactive generosity of many of the pro-life movement. She tweeted out the following: Dear pro-life friends. What have you personally done to support lower-income single mothers? It's single mothers, actually. I'll wait. The tweet quickly got ratioed, uh, with many listing their charity in response. One responder said that they had donated several times to crisis pregnancy centers and applied for open adoption. Another said they had spent the past 15 years serving a breakfast at a homeless shelter and said that the bad-faith argument is irrelevant. I agree. Another said that they were, that they were the president of the local domestic violence shelter, adding, oh, and I don't slice up tiny unborn women. Another said they had supported the crisis, pre supported crisis pregnancy centers and donated crap loads, that's not the word, but crap loads of diapers to the local diaper bank. Another said they ran a huge foster program which fostered kids near the homes of mothers who simply couldn't afford to take care of them so that they could visit. 
Several, several replies to the tweet said they had fostered and or adopted multiple kids and had donated to local crisis pregnancy care centers. All of the responses pointed out that the threat had not gone how the anti-life author had planned, and the influx of responses pointed out that despite the leftist narrative, there's a bevy of pro-lifers who practice what they preach and help wherever they can. Now, like I have always said, there's always an exception. I'm sure there are pro-lifers out there who do nothing but preach about it and don't do anything in return. There are pro-lifers my age who can't do anything in return. I constantly talk about how I'm mostly pro-life and, you know, I don't do anything personally, but one, I'm, I don't, it's not legal for me to adopt. Two, if I had money, I would give it to a crisis center, but I don't. I have, like, no money. Um, there was a third thing. I don't know. The most I can do is spread awareness. And that's another thing. A lot of people, and I want to get onto this in that episode when I talk about teenage opinion and politics, a lot of times, when I'm especially debating with teenagers, they use other teenagers as examples. But if we're talking about full-grown adults, you'll find that most pro-lifers are actually incredibly caring and will actually practice the things they say they're going to do. I actually went to this tweet itself and read through the responses. I heard people say, I've adopted six kids and had two of my own kids, and I've got like seven or eight kids. I've got 12 kids. I adopted five from the adoption agency. So there are so many people that, despite even the adoption system not being the greatest, have adopted so many kids, because, you know, it's like a five-year process. And it goes to show that this narrative that pro-lifers just sit here and say, well, put it out for adoption, and then don't care about the kids in the foster care system and don't care about kids in adoption system is completely wrong. It's absolute crap, as is a lot of things with these. I've seen, there's a, there was a meme I've seen with a, my more liberal friends on Instagram that they started sharing around. It was a picture of a woman. She was throwing a baby in a water pool, in a pool, and then on the other side of the pool, there was a crying child who looked like it was about to drown. And in the meme, it was like, Republicans. And of course, the thing with, um, with, uh, with a lot of liberals, especially kids my age, again, a lot, a lot of this is with kids my age, not even with the adult liberals, but with liberals my age, is everyone who disagrees with them is a Republican. Now, I've been very, I'd say, confused about my political stance. I want to be independent, however, as someone who has a possibility of maybe wanting to try and run for a presidential position, or not even that, but just, like, in politics in general, I know for a fact it's incredibly hard to run as an independent because politics is a two-party game. It's a freaking game, and you have to have your team behind you with, because without it, you're going to most likely lose. The only reason we had so many independent presidents in the past is because it didn't matter as much and we weren't as stupid back then. Well, now we are, and so my problem is I kind of have to uh, affiliate with a party. So if I'm going to do that, I'm going to do the Republicans. There's a meme I've seen going around, not a meme, but it says Rhino, Republican in name only. That's what I'd say I am. In fact, in my Instagram bio, it says Proud Rhino, which is what I am, a Republican in name only. Anyways, what was I saying? Oh yeah, teenagers, a lot of liberal teenagers like to say that everyone who disagrees with them is a Republican, which makes absolutely no sense. And as someone who was at the time just basically saying they were nothing, it was really stupid because I know plenty of people that aren't Republicans. I know libertarians that are against pro-life, that are pr not against pro-life, that are pro-life. So are they Republicans too? It was just ridiculous. But in the meme, it said Republicans, um, uh, babies in the womb or something stupid like that. And then it said 4,500 children in the foster care system. But stuff like this goes to show that that stuff is absolute crap that someone made up because people want everyone to be a bad person, which I just don't understand in this day and age. How could you sit here and want people you disagree with to be bad people? 
you should never want someone to be a bad person. When the whole Jussie Smollett thing was going down, I was hoping that he was actually attacked because I, it's horrendous to think that someone would put, do that to themselves and, and, and be such a terrible person just because of some stupid political bias. And I also hope the same thing about everyone who disagrees with me. I never generally hope that people who disagree with me are bad people. But a lot of people on the left do tend to do this thing where they're like, oh, everyone who disagrees with me is not only a Republican, but they're also a bad person. I just don't understand it. It doesn't make any sense, and it's ridiculous. There's no civility in it anymore. And the little civility I have seen has been... Uh, genuinely brought out by Ben Shapiro and Andrew Yang. I got to watch that video and it was amazing. Um, Pete Buttigieg tries to do what Andrew Yang is doing. He's trying to say he's bipartisan, but he's really not. When it comes to Andrew Yang versus Pete Buttigieg, they're, I definitely say they're my two favorites um, in the Democratic running. However, I'd have to go for Andrew Yang because he, I think he generally is reasonable. Pete Buttigieg is saying, I will be reasonable. If you've noticed, none of his policies are in the middle. Or like, one will benefit one, one will benefit the other side. His are all super radical. With Andrew Yang, I've gone through a little bit of his policies. I want to dive into it more eventually on my own time. But a lot of his policies, I've seen things that I've agreed with uh, tremendously. There was a tweet he said that was like, the rent is too darn high. And I was like, yep! Um, and then there was another thing where he's like, Medicare for all. I'm like, that's ridiculous, but okay. So this, there's this thing where people just can't do that anymore for some reason. There's just this idea that you can't hope that your opponent, your opponent is a good person. And so a lot of people on the left not only blame, or not only, not blame, but not, not only call everyone who disagrees with them a Republican, especially people my age, but they also sit with this idea that if I say it and make it a meme that becomes slightly popular, then it's true. But it's not. And cases like these are excellent examples of how it's not true. And I absolutely love these cases because they just, they warm my, and they, I felt really good reading those tweets. When I was reading through the responses to that, to that Twitter post, I was sitting there and I, I just, it made me so happy to know that there are people out there that do that stuff. Uh, my, I've even personally considered adopting a child. It's been, it's actually part of my backup plan for life. Um, I've got a backup plan for if I don't get married. If I don't get married, I'm going to adopt a child, maybe two. Uh, preferably just one and it would be a girl. But if I want to, if things change, I maybe two. But my backup plan for life is generally to adopt a child and raise them as my own. And maybe even if I do get married, I'll adopt a child and raise one as my own. Because, um, it's something I've... I don't know, it just... I'd like to do it. But, um... When I was reading through that, not only was I glad that those stupid memes were not true, but that people were doing good things like that. It's very good to read things like that and know that good things are happening. By the way, quick reminder before we get on to our next thing, if you're watching the YouTube video, uh, subscribe to the YouTube channel while you still can because I'm not popular enough yet for YouTube to think I'm a threat. So go ahead, hit the subscribe button, hit your notification button so you can also get updated on every new video and also check out the website. Once the subscription policy is set up, make sure you check that out. It'll be like $10 and $5 for veterans and active service. Anyway, next topic. So Trump has, op has opened up about his use of Twitter and he sets a bar, I think, for future presidents. So as we all know, since the day Trump has been elected, he's used 
Twitter like a, a person who used Twitter. So, uh, President Trump, in an interview with Steve Hilton, explained the social media aspect of his approach to, this pre to the presidency, saying that it is a tremendous way to reach out to the American people. Trump pointed out that he has way over 100 million people following on the, ver following on the various platforms, and it's a tremendous way to communicate to communicate for me to communicate with the American people. He also said that it's true, that it's not true he spends most of his time watching TV, saying that if he sees somebody interesting, he likes to watch them. But if he is in the Oval Office early, but he is in the Oval Office early and leaves late. And I wholeheartedly believe that. And that they, and that they say he spends most of his time watching TV as a form of disparagement. Paragament. See, I was practicing saying that before I recorded, and I still had to take time to say it. For context, he said that he had been in the in the office negotiating with businessmen, and there was a small screen in the corner that was saying he was in the residence steaming as he was literally sitting in the Oval Office. Trump also said that he tends to be a calm person in private, a statement that is backed by the fact that many people who meet him personally say he is very polite and his private attitude is very tame considered, compared to the garsh, harsh go-get-him attitude he has with the media. And it's simply not true that he's a raging bull in private like the media has portrayed him. Leading back to the social media, Trump said that he thinks interaction has been generally successful, saying that he's gotten bad bills knocked down and good bills passed through bringing attention to them. He expressed amusement to the fact that his tweets tend to be national headlines, admitting that he does sometimes express irritation through his tweets to bring attention to the things that need to be covered. I love this comment here. He says, every president will be expected to have a social media presence like him from now on forward, and that's a good thing. And I agree with that. Social media is both the enemy of the people and a tool you can use because some people can step through the hoops, create loopholes, and be able to use it to their advantage, like President Trump. In fact, President Trump has been trying to compile evidence that conservatives are being shadow banned across the platform, across many platforms, and frankly, I don't think he's going to have a hard time of that happening, especially with a lot of big names. We've had, uh, oh crap, what is her name? Laura Loomer was banned multiple times. I think Roger Stone was banned at one point. Uh, the typical liberal was banned at another point. There have been so many cases of people getting banned that it wouldn't surprise me at all if the president was able to collect such a large amount of evidence. My camera just shut off. I was really hoping it wouldn't do that this time, which is really disappointing. Let me try and go fix that. So... I think it's great that he's going to try and get justice for the people who have been banned. And I do agree with this person that the president is going to definitely have a very big social media presence from this day, for, from Trump's president's presidency forward, whether or not he gets reelected in 2020 or not. And uh, overall, and I love that he even does admit that he does express his irritation. The times where he does act like a, a little girl on Instagram or on Twitter, I, I think it's... I, I'm very glad that he even he admits to something like that. Anyways, that that was just, I was just glad that he did that. Anyway, Pelosi says Trump had a temper tantrum and insists he's covering up a whole lot of nothing. So as you may know, many Democrats are accusing Trump of covering up everything. And uh, I will indeed say that she's not fully wrong on the fact that he had a temper tantrum. I'm not, I'm not even going to read this because I know what it's about. So. 
Donald Trump goes in for, goes to the White House and is preparing for an infrastructure meeting with Nancy Pelosi and Chuck Schumer, I believe. Even though Chuck Schumer shouldn't be there, it should be uh, Mitch McConnell. However, he go, he go, he's about to go to this meeting and he looks, uh, I don't even know where, he finds out that Speaker Pelosi, right before entering the White House, says, um, we're going to impeach Donald Trump and I'm 100% sure that he's covering up something. There's no way the Mueller report was right. Uh, Trump is trying to cover up. He's a criminal! Ah! And basically, that's what they did, and that's what they've been doing, and that's essentially what Pelosi said. And so, Trump goes in. He goes, You freaking idiot. None of that's true at all. This meeting, over. He walks out. Okay, so the president's walking out. He goes to the Rose Garden. He walks up to this ridiculous stand that says it's it says uh, the money spent or whatever all yeah it explains the money the Mueller report the money spent on it, on the investigation on all the different warrants all that and then it says no collusion no obstruction da 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 I think that was stupid okay I don't think that was an incredibly intelligent move I was actually listening to the Ben Shapiro show yesterday which was Thursday because I forgot this airs on Saturdays now. I was listening to the Ben Shapiro show, and he was talking about what the president should have done, and I agree with this wholeheartedly. What he should have done is walked into the room, said, I hate what you're doing, you're totally wrong, but we need to focus on infrastructure. Sat down and started working on infrastructure, because then at least President Trump wouldn't have been the one storming out. Most likely it would have been the Democrats, and I brought this up today while I was talking with some friends in the morning. We were talking about the temper tantrum he had and the stupid sign and all that, and then I had the one friend say... Uh, I don't know, something retarded about Trump. And then I said, well, actually, it probably would have ended the same. It would have ended that way either way. We just needed one of them to go out. Now, when he was scorning uh, the the Democrats about this, and he, by the way, when he went out to the Rose Garden to the stupid pedestal, he ended up spending like 30 minutes talking about how sucky Democrats were and all that. And, um, you know, as wrong as he not is, what? As wrong as he isn't? What? I don't know. As right as he is, again, it wasn't a very smart move because this is exactly what Democrats want him to do. Most reasonable Democrats at this point realize they're not going to get the impeachment clock. The, the impeachment clock isn't going to tick to zero like they hoped it would. So their best now is to make the president look as crazy as possible until the elections. However, that is also Trump's strategy. Well, I don't think it is. His strategy isn't fully like that, but it's been doing that. And I don't, I don't think it's been doing that on purpose, but it's been doing that nonetheless. So, however, their plan in general was that Trump uh, goes in, he has a temper tantrum, he goes out, and then he looks as crazy as possible. It's an ingenious political move. However, it was also stupid because that was an infrastructure meeting. And I think infrastructure is kind of important, Nancy. So not only was Chuck Schumer there for no reason other than just, ah, I'm Chuck, I'm Chuck Schumer, you know, for no other reason than that. Um, on top of that, they just ended up not having the infrastructure meeting. And what's worse is Trump says he's not going to have an infrastructure meeting until the Democrats call off an impeachment investigation. <clears throat> not only is that one, what they want you to do, two, it, it doesn't help anyone. I, I'm glad that you're that you're ready to defend yourself on your on these political tactics, but I also kind of care about the infrastructure of the United States. And I thought both party or one of the parties, one of these representatives for the parties, could at least go. You know what? Let's focus on infrastructure. Now, Nancy Pelosi, being Nancy Pelosi, is trying to make it out like 
The president walked in and he was a freaking idiot. I'm the only one that cares about infrastructure here. He just came in and yelled at me and left. He sucks. Impeach Donald Trump. You know, that's basically what Nancy Pelosi did right after. And a lot of Democrats are doing that as well. They're going, oh, 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 okay, so this president's a freaking idiot. Um, what is so stupid about this? What's so wrong? My camera died. What's so stupid about this? Which is really freaking annoying. So, what is ridiculous about this is that it's so obvious that nobody in that situation was really there for infrastructure. Trump... I think wanted to go to the freaking infrastructure meeting, have an infrastructure meeting, but he was also heated by the comments Nancy Pelosi made right before, and she did it on purpose. She, uh, it just happened because she was right outside. No, that's so stupid. She did that on purpose, and it was a very intelligent political move, but it was also stupid in terms of the freaking infrastructure meeting, because now we're not going to have one. And so now what Democrats are going to do is they're going to constantly go, look at that, look at that, Trump said he's not having an infrastructure meeting because we want to investigate him for impeachment, because we don't like what Mueller said, because Mueller didn't give us the answers that we wanted. Give us the answers that we want, Mueller. And so... That's just basically going to go on for a while until someone can convince the president to have an infrastructure meeting, which is ridiculous, it's stupid, I absolutely think it's dumb, but you know what? Fine. You keep playing your political, ga political games and hopefully eventually someone will get to work and we can actually, you know, do things because we were on a perfectly fine track, well, we were on an okay fine track up till that point. Yesterday really was annoying, which is Thursday. Anyways, this morning... Friday, May 24th, Theresa May quits. Now, I don't follow UK politics. I did, I had a friend who does follow it, and I've seen, he showed me what some of their uh, elections are like, and I thought that was absolutely ridiculous. However, this morning, Friday, May 24th, Theresa May quits. UK set for new prime minister by the end of July. So, what does this mean? Now, let me be clear. Let me try and break down the reason, and then I'll watch the actual uh, thing. So, in an emotional statement, she said she has done her best to deliver Brexit, and it was a matter of deep regret that she had been unable to do so. So basically, people were like, Brexit! Leave the European Union! The European Union sucks! Yeah, okay, I agree with that. I think you should do that. Theresa May goes, I will get you Brexit! Then she doesn't for like six months. Okay, so the people are mad. They're like, get us Brexit now! And she's like... I will get you Brexit. She still doesn't get Brexit. And two months later, they're like, can you please get Brexit even a little bit? She's like, I will try and get you Brexit. And then this morning she goes, no, can't do it. Can't do it. And it, it's a disappointment and a shame because, well, I see the thing is I don't know anything about Theresa May. I don't follow UK politics because I don't really care about the UK. I'm not going to lie. I, we literally won a revolution not to care about them. So the most I can say is that I have to, I'm going to give her the benefit of the doubt, and I'm going to believe that she actually tried. Uh, if you happen to be from the UK, uh, please let me know your opinion, because I'd love to hear about what you think she did or did not do. So, let's watch a video of her concluding her announcement. Of course it doesn't load. It loads. First, let's watch a commercial. Huh. The new rules sharpen your focus on the most crucial threats first. Not every event you see. Right then. I feel as certain today as I did three years ago. 
that in a democracy, if you give people a choice, you have a duty to implement what they decide. I have done my best to do that. I negotiated the terms of our exit and a new relationship with our closest neighbours that protects jobs, our security and our union. I have done everything I can to convince MPs to back that deal. Sadly, I have not been able to do so. I tried three times. I believe it was right to persevere, even when the odds against success seemed high. But it is now clear to me that it is in the best interests of the country for a new Prime Minister to lead that effort. So I am today announcing that I will resign as leader of the Conservative and Unionist Party on Friday the 7th of June, so that a successor can be chosen. I will shortly leave the job that it has been the honour of my life to hold. The second female Prime Minister, but certainly not the last. I do so with no ill will, but with enormous and enduring gratitude to have had the opportunity to serve the country I love. So Theresa May, at the end of her statement, uh, kind of... I can guarantee you she went behind the door, closed the door, and then started crying. But, so, what does this mean? Now, again, I was listening to the Ben Shapiro show Thursday, and he was talking about what they were, what Theresa May was doing with Brexit. And will Trump suffer a same fate if he can't do the same thing with, I think, the border wall or something like that? It was ironic that he said, what if he suffers the same fate, and then the next day, uh, Theresa May quits. I don't think Trump would ever quit because Trump's not a quitter. He's just really, really incredibly persistent, um, almost annoyingly persistent. And um, I just I wanted to add this because this is some pretty interesting and I'd say relatively big news. Uh, in the end, May was overwhelmed. That at this at the start she boasted about not being a creature of Westminster's bars and cliques, but it meant this very private politician had few true friends to help when things turned sour, and neither the powers of patronage of patronage nor the capability to schmooze or or arm twist people to get people around to her point of view. Few of her cabinet colleagues even now know her well at all. One saying that as things got harder, the circle got smaller. Another revealed that thing there was no trust and no faith. Settling the Tories' decades-long dispute over Europe was always perhaps beyond just one leader, but the wounds have gotten more painful under her leadership rather than fading away. And I'd have to say, given the little bit of interest I had that was sparked from that, and the little bit of interest I looked into that when researching it myself, I do have to say, to an extent, I, I do agree with that statement. Um, things didn't, I don't think, necessarily got better under Theresa May, I think, I do believe that she tried, but she clearly just wasn't able to convince anyone that this was a good idea, which is a disappointment for England, uh, because they're basically pulling a, uh, or for, sorry, the UK, um, because they're trying to pull an American revolution on the, on Europe without it actually being a revolution. So, that's an interesting topic, and a very, uh, just overall interesting thing to see. So, overall, I have to say that, um, that's, that's just an interesting thing that happened, and goodbye to Theresa May, we'll see you at the end of June, or at the beginning of June. Anyways, that's, that's all the topics for today. Um, if you're on the YouTube 
Paige, sorry the camera died again. I'm still trying to figure out why it's doing that or how if there's a way to stop it. If I need to get rid of these freaking lights that are making me bake under the, under the not sun, uh, then I'll try. Anyways, our song of the week is End of May by Michael Buble, ironically, because it's the end of May. I thought I was going to do that the next episode, but then I realized the next episode doesn't premiere till, won't premiere until Saturday the 1st. So, this is going to be the end of May episode for us. So... So make sure you give out a, or take a look at End of May by Michael Bublé. It's a really good song, and that's a new thing, by the way, uh, the song of the week. So, um, yeah, make sure to subscribe to the YouTube channel. Make sure to become a subscriber to, you know, a subscription tier for the website. Once we start, once we fix that, I'll let you know as soon as possible. Um, and just generally uh, give it all a look out. And uh, I'm also, if you'd be interested, I'm still looking for the opportunity to have writers. Uh, for the website. If you'd be interested in just writing about, you know, giving your opinions on thir- certain things, I'll gladly, you can just uh, send me a message through my Instagram or uh, email me. I should have my email somewhere. If, and if I don't, I'll put it up there. Or I'll give you the Under the Stars email because I actually, that I, I use that one by myself personally. So if you, um, if you want to, uh, if you'd be interested in writing for Under the Stars and writing articles and stuff, just send me an email. Uh, all you need is access to Google Docs, and then I'll let you know the rest if you email me. So if you want to email me or send me a message on Instagram, that'd be great. If you want to write some articles for Under the Stars. Anyways, thank you so much for listening to this week's episode. I hope you enjoyed it, and I'll see you next week. Thank you for, so, Thank you so much for coming on. And next time, we'll try even harder to not have the camera freaking die. Thanks so much. Have a good weekend.